always miss everybody that's that's gone. Sometimes things happen. Sometimes, sometimes, Brother Chris, we take vacation. You know, it just happens, right? Sometimes things uh, arise. Weather arises. Um, you know, difficulties arise. But it's always so glad to reunite in the house of the Lord, where the fellowship is, where the fellowship of Jesus and the saints. Beautiful, beautiful. What I want to preach about Jesus this morning. I know that's unusual for me, but uh, we're going to take some text and then talk about the Lord and got an interesting sort of a, a spin on a subject here this morning that I think might catch your attention. And so follow with me. I hope you're not too tired. I know, you know, I'm, I'm a working man. I have been all my life. In fact, when I went to preach, I just kept right on working. And um, I know that you put in a good hard week and you get sitting down in church after we've sang and rejoiced and kind of cozy into that chair and I know what happens. I know what happens. Sometimes you just have to fight it, you know. You say, no, my soul, you're going to listen to what the Lord has to say this morning. And so just, I just encourage you that to just take part. Just take part this morning. I don't do this for me. I enjoy I, the One thing that I do when I study, I, I believe that the Lord ministers to the minister first. Whoever it is that's bringing the word of God and, and uh, our brothers, they agree with that, that the Lord ministers to you first, but then to relate it and to give it out to everyone else, how the Lord has just touched and ministered it to us is what we want to do. We, intend, we attempt to do by the help of the Lord this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I want to go into the Old Testament and look at a scripture here. We've been beating the drum with David, and um, so we've got a pretty good drum beat going, so we won't quit this morning. We're going to beat that drum a little bit again. Go to 1 Samuel, 16th chapter. I want to read this 13th verse. 1 Samuel 16, 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, David, in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And I want to take you to Acts 10, 38. There's some parallels here that I want to talk about. I believe the Lord just ministered something. Acts 10, 38. Jesus, the one from Nazareth, how God anointed him. I'm just going to read it as it, as it says here. With the Holy Spirit and with power who went through doing good and healing all that having been oppressed of the devil because God was with him. Lord, we just come before you. And as I've said already, I just want to relate what you put in my heart. We don't have anything so special. It's just about you, Lord. And that makes it special. Lord, we just ask you, God, just ingrain it in our heart and touch us in our heart. Lord, if you need to change some things about our thinking, do a little little bit of metanoia with us that we repent of thinking one direction and we come another direction because you have shown us by your spirit. I pray that we'll be open to do that and to hear your word, Jesus. Amen. Is everyone open to hear the word of the Lord this morning? Amen. I always, I always believe this and I trust in this, that, that I'm not a finished product. I hope nobody sitting here this morning thinks you're a finished product. Um, if you are, or you think that way, your wife will tell you different. Or your husband will tell you different, or your friends. <laughs> we're not finished. Thank God we're not finished. But thank God we're not, we're not what we used to be. That we're walking down this road with the Lord. Can you say amen? And so, it's, it's an ongoing journey that we're on. And, and I say this at times because... Coming to the Lord and meeting the Lord is not 
the finality of everything. Now you begin to walk with him. You begin to grow in the knowledge and favor of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're growing. We're constantly growing. So if God wants to change something in my life, I say, Lord, you have permission to do that. Amen? Sometimes they're thinking, I, 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 Roddy and I talk about this a lot, and he relays it real good from, from the platform. And sometimes, sometimes where we were from, sometimes where we were raised, seems like the ultimate truth in our life. That, that that's foundational for us, and I'm never changing that. But I know that as a child, and we come into the kingdom as a child, you don't come into the kingdom 50 years old, have knowledge. and No, you come in learning. And so God takes us and, and we learn. And so some of our things that we held on to, the Lord just wants to, you know, just let it go. Let it go. Just take the word of God. Just take what the spirit is leading for our lives. Everyone with good intentions, I believe, preaches the gospel, but not everyone understands what they're preaching. So I want to talk about this, this uh, anointing starting in the Old Testament. God anointed Jesus. But I want to start in the Old Testament because really the anointing Old Testament was a type of the real. I do not believe, and the Scripture does not teach us, that the Old Covenant was the real. But rather the Old Covenant was the parallel. The Old Covenant was the type. It was not the real. The real was yet to come. The Old Testament was a type, a shadow, of that which would come. And so when we look at anointing, then I'm going to have to say there was anointing in an Old Testament time, but it was not the full thing. It was not the whole real issue, but most of the time it was a physical example or a shadow, a type, a parallel, a, 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 a look at something physically that we would later see spiritually, a parable. And so anointing oil in the Old Testament was, it was a preparation to the service of God. So you look at the men and women in the Old Testament and beginning at the law, beginning with Moses, and I'm, I'm going to read something that's very interesting. But beginning with Moses, Abraham was not anointed, um, Isaac, Jacob, but we get down to Moses and the law. And now God's got to say some things about anointing. Anointing was for the priesthood. Anointing was for kings. It was done by prophets. Sometimes they anointed other prophets. But this, this was pretty much the full of it. Priests, the kings, and the prophets. But it was a time of separating. It was to sanctify one unto the, the, the work, the ministering, the service that the Lord had set in front of them. And so it had a purpose. The oil had a purpose. It had a, it had a real cause to it that it wasn't just like ordinary oil. Um, it wasn't olive oil and, and it wasn't vegetable oil, but we'll read about that here in just a second. But... This recipe for anointing oil. Interesting. So, Rodney, if you get me Exodus, the 30th chapter, and I want to read down from the 22nd verse, Exodus 30 and 22, and we'll take a look at what God said. This isn't what something what man put together, but this is what God put together. And uh, there we go. And moreover, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take thou also unto the principal spices of myrrh, of pure myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet cinnamon, half so much, 
even 250 shekels, and of sweet calamus, 250 shekels. And of cassia, 500 shekels, and after the shekel of the sanctuary, and of the oil, our oil, olive, and hen. I don't know what a hen is, I don't know what a shekel is, but but these, no, after the art of the apothecary compounded. Okay, go to the next verse. And thou shalt anoint the tabernacle of the congregation therewith, and the ark of the testimony, and the table, and all of his vessels, and the candlestick, and his vessels, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all of his vessels, and the laver, and his foot. And thou shalt sanctify them, that they may be most holy. Listen to this. Look at, no, go back. Look, look at this. Whatsoever touches them shall be holy. And so I'm, I'm going to kind of reverse this just a little bit. Whatever the oil touches will be holy. Everybody say holy. A lot of stuff about holy. So we're going to talk about holy a little bit this morning. Whatever this oil touches. He said anoint all these things and whoever touches that. But I, I believe it also, also would mean because of the next part. And thou shalt anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. Yeah, go a couple more verses. Down to the 33rd. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, This shall be an holy anointing oil unto me throughout your generations. And upon man's flesh shall it not be poured, neither shall ye make any other like it. After the composition of it, it is holy, and it shall be holy unto you. In the last verse, whosoever compoundeth any like it. Or whosoever putteth any of it upon a stranger shall even be cut off from his people. That is, that's pretty powerful. That's pretty powerful. So God says, make this, make this uh, ointment. And it's only to be used in special God-sent occasions. Don't use it for anything else. Don't pour it on it. Don't give it to a stranger. Don't even make a compound like it. This is good because we're going to come into the New Testament about some of this. And it's for the generations of Israel. For the generations of Israel. You will notice that in the New Testament... God's ministers are not anointed by pouring oil on them. He does not pick his ministers that way. He does not not sanctify them that way. He does not prepare them that way. But in the Old Testament, starting with Aaron, and David said, I think it was 133 Psalms, he said, the oil that was poured out on Aaron, it ran down his beard and even onto his clothes and to the hems of his garment. And it, was, it spoke holiness unto the Lord. And one of the reasons why I believe that the oil made holy and not touching the, the, the instruments that had been anointed made you holy, but the oil made holy is because he poured it out on Aaron. Now, if you touched Aaron, you didn't become holy. But Aaron became holy. And again, let's look at the word holy. What does the word holy mean? Even the Old Testament, it means set apart. It means sanctified. It means something other than common things. Sacred things. This is, this is the rendering of holy. But, but the main, And going over to the New Testament, you have the same rendering of the word, and it really means to set apart. And in this instance, it is to set Aaron apart, to set his sons apart, to set the priesthood apart, because they're not just going to do what everybody else is doing. God has given 
them ministry to do. He's giving them, them some work that's special, that is different than everyone else's work. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? And so you will take the oil, but you will only use that at specific times. And I think it is, you know, it's the prophets that anoint them. Kings don't anoint each other. The prophet always did the anointing. So, so it was God who said, get up and go anoint. And it was the Lord who followed through with this holy anointing, holy oil. Now, I was in a, sp in a special service. You know, I don't know if Kay remembers this. Yes, you do. We were at a, like a camp, and um, there was a time that we had several preacher brothers that were friends of ours, and we all went to camp, and then they tried to out-preach each other. It was, it was great. They always tried to out-preach each other, come up with something, you know, and, and I can remember just a lot of different things that, that one brother said, uh, he said, you need to put a pine cone in your shirt. That was the essence of his message because that pine cone will remind you of your sins. I said, I'm not doing that. Another brother, he said, well, you need to carry around a white rock where he, where he read in the scripture where he gave you a new name. And, and he told how they would pull out the white rock. And the white rock meant that you were absolved of your crimes or whatever it was. Anyway, carry around a white rock. I said, no, I'm not going to do that either. Well, the same brother came up with a message about anointed oil. He went back to the scriptures and he compounded an oil out of the recipe that we just read in Exodus. And the Lord said not to. But boy, it was going to be a blessing. It was really going to be. It didn't bless me at all. And it didn't bless anybody else there because God is not in that kind of anointing in the New Testament church. There's a lot said about anointing. I'm, I mean, in, 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 in Pentecost circle, there's a whole lot said about anointing. But I want to look at David. Now, David, prophet of God, the more that I have read in the last couple of months and the more that I've talked about David, you know, you all know that I've been, been talking about him and taking things out of his writing and bringing it to, to some things that the Lord said, things that the Lord did. This man was so prophetic. A lot of times when you think about David, you just think he was a king. Uh, he made some big mistakes. Uh, he killed a giant. But the man was a prophet. The man, he loved God. And God loved him. And he, had, he just had these insights. Well, I think a lot of it starts right here when David is anointed with the holy oil. David's anointed with the holy oil. One thing that does to David is makes him holy. Everything that the oil touches becomes holy to service unto the Lord. I think David is about 30 years old. I know the Sunday school literature. We got a little old kid. And he's about this size. Got him a sling and he's, no. If you read about David, before that ever happened, he became Saul's armor bearer. A 10-year-old boy doesn't carry Saul's armor. He just was not a seasoned veteran fighter. He had been to war with Saul. He had carried his armor, but he himself was not yet a warrior, a young man. Of course, we know in the old time that they didn't figure that a man was really a man until he was about 30 years old. This is exactly why Jesus goes to the Jordan at about 30 years old. He could have gone at 15, 18, 20, 25. We think, you know, we've got guys around here in their 20s. They think they're men. You guys aren't men yet. You've got to get to 30. So I'm, I'm going to estimate, because this, the parallels between David and Christ are just, are just really, they're there. It's beautiful. So, so David, about 30 years old, and God speaks to Samuel. Samuel's the prophet of God in the land at the time. He's the voice of God. He's the one the Lord is speaking through. 
And God says to Samuel, I want you to go down, get, no, first get your anointing oil. Fill your horn with oil. And so there was a resource somewhere. I don't know if it was from the original oil or if they had made more. I don't know. That was quite a bit of oil. I, I don't know shekels very good, but 500 whatever they are is quite a bit of oil. Then you add 250 more shekels of something else. I think we're talking about a vat of oil. I mean, and so either way, the Lord says to Samuel, fill your horn with oil. I'm going to send you down to Jesse's house. I like what he says. He says that, that I, for I have provided me a king among his sons. First thing Samuel says, if Saul hears about this, I'm a dead man. Because he anointed Saul to be king. And so, Lord, what am I going to do? If I go down there and anoint this, there's going to be trouble. And the Lord says, go take it. Take a sacrifice, he says. The Lord says, take a sacrifice. So, And then call them all to the sacrifice. And, and so I, I kind of like, you know, the Lord's so smart. Does everybody know that the Lord outsmarts you? I mean, your ways are one thing and his ways are another, you know. Take a sacrifice. So, so here Samuel goes. He's got, him a, he's got him an ox or something. I don't know what kind of sacrifice he had, but he gets down to, to Bethlehem, and he says, there, Jesse, I want you and your house and the boys and, and all the town come out. We're, we're going to have sacrifice unto the Lord. And so they all show up. But his purpose for being there is not sacrifice. He's there, he's there to anoint. And so he's got his anointing oil with him. And, and, uh, and then he says to Jesse while the sacrifice, while they're doing that celebration of the sacrifice, he says to Jesse, he says, I want to see your boys. And I think he told him, he said, one of them, God's going to anoint. And, and so Jesse began to bring his sons out. And Eliab and Shammah, Abinadab, doesn't say what the other boys' names are, but it brings them to front. And, and, and the Lord says to Samuel, uh-uh, not that one. Well, he looks good. He looks strong. He looks, he's a warrior. He's one of the ones already been to battle. The oldest three boys were warriors. These guys have made good kings. And the Lord says, no. Don't look on the outward appearance. Uh-oh. Going to have to touch holiness this morning. I believe in looking right. But looking right on the outside doesn't mean you're right in your heart. Eliab, you look really good. You look kingly. You look like the one, but God said, no, 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 don't. I know the heart. And he knows the heart of the guy that's not even at the feast. He didn't even get over to the sacrifice. He is still out at the sheep. And so seven boys pass by Aaron, and he's got that anointing oil, and he is ready to make one of them holy. Jesse, you got any more boys? So where we could. We got the one. He's out in the field. He takes, he's the only guy working. The rest of them are messing around. He's out taking care of the sheep. The rest of them are sitting around home. No wonder God didn't like him. God likes working men. Can you say amen? And God likes people who smell like the sheep a little bit. I'm telling you what, some of these pastors we've got, Wow. They look more like homos than anointed people to me. So now, okay, we'll wait. We'll wait. Aaron, Aaron, he's, he's probably getting excited in his spirit. This is the last son, and God hasn't chosen any of the first. It's got to be him. And so he said, we're not even going to rest until he gets here. So they sent him out. Maybe, you know, what did it take? An hour, two, a couple hours or something? Here, come, here they come. And when David... When David comes, it says, and the scripture said, he was a good-looking young man. Ruddy, red-haired. We have any red-haired young men here today? No, they're, they're pretty good-looking kids. I like the brown-haired guys, too, but he's just red-haired. He was, he was a 
good. His countenance was good. He was a fine-looking young man. And God said to Aaron, arise and anoint. David, come here. And he takes that oil. Everybody in that place knows what's going on. You don't even have to tell them. You don't use the oil for anything else. He's anointing him into the office of kingship unto the Lord. As God said, I have, I've chosen me one out from among the brethren of Jesse. Pours the oil over his head. Same thing happened. Ran down his beard on his clothes to the hems of his garment. But I like this. Now listen. Listen to this. Be quiet, brother. I'm preaching. I like this. It says, from that time, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. See, in the Old Testament, the holy was given by the oil and the Spirit was given by God. See, you're in a, you're in a time where the physicality of worship meant a lot and, and, and God designed it that way. But, but I'm going to have to tell you in the full that David was anointed with Holy Spirit. Holy the oil and the Spirit of God. Now, we can go in the New Testament where, where Jesus said, out of your bellies will flow rivers of living water, and He was speaking of the Holy Spirit which was yet to come because it, the Holy Spirit was not yet given. But what we have to see is the Old Testament uh, Procedure. They didn't receive spirit until they received holy. And I don't know, you know, okay, God knew God knew David's heart. David didn't repent. David was a right man. David was a good man. David was a psalmist. He he was ready. He was right before God. And so holy and spirit was poured out on David. Holy by the hand of Aaron, spirit by God. See, the way God did it in the Old Testament was not yet come to pass fully in the New Testament because He would no longer use oil. Oil now, I mean, the book of James says, if any sick among you, let him come, call the elders and anoint him with oil, laying hands on them. But it's, it's, it's a type, it's, it's, it's a symbol of anointing. But that oil has, that oil's not holy. I've got some right here. Let's see. Pompeian. It's robust. It's for salads and marinades. Also for anointing people. What? No. So I take this and pour it over your head, nothing happens. Nothing happens. I can reenact the, the, the recipe that God gave to Moses and put that all together and have you all come by and I'll pour it on you. Man, I've been through all that. I was in a service one time where a guy was anointing people out of a bucket of oil, taking his hand, and when you came by, when you were done, you were anointed. It was running down your face, on your clothes. It ruined your clothes. It was, it was, and, and, man, it was good, you know. We, but that's not, God is not anointing that way. That's an Old Testament symbol of what God is going to do in the next. And, and, and so, but the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. David was not filled with an indwelling, per se. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, moved upon him. Look at, look at uh, Samson. What the Spirit of the Lord, what? Came upon him, and he did mighty works. The Spirit of the Lord came upon those in the Old Testament, and they did great works. Came upon Elijah, the old man Elijah, who outran the chariots. You don't do that. 
It, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you. And they did great things as the Spirit of the Lord came upon them. It was not, it was not abiding within them. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? So they were moved on. In fact, and let me take you to, to 1 Timothy um, 3.15. And holy men wrote as they were moved on. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. But, but holy men wrote the what? They were moved upon by the power of the Spirit of the Lord. They didn't just write, sit down and write. They were moved upon. And so this is the measure of the Old Testament. And David was moved upon. He killed a lion. He killed a bear. He said, this giant is no different. God moved upon him to kill the giant. But beyond this, beyond being a warrior, beyond being a man that would help free Israel from the hand of the Philistines, God had called him to lead the nation back to the Lord. Saul fell away. God had called David to lead the nation. That's why he needed anointing. He didn't need anointing to, to kill bears and giants. He needed anointing to lead a nation back to God. And he did it well. And the scripture later says about him that he did everything that God had put in his heart except for the mistakes that he made, the sin that he made with Bathsheba and taking his friend's life and stealing his wife. But other than that, he led the nation to the Lord. Isn't he a beautiful man? Come on, say amen. And so now, David gets ready. I, I talked to Dustin about this the other day. And David, David gets ready to build the Lord a house. He loves the Lord. He wants to build the Lord a house. He said, I'm, I'm living in this palace. And, and he sees God. God has literally... A tent, an old tent out there. And he says, I'm going to build the Lord. The prophet comes to him and says, David, you're not going to build the house. I'm going to build you a house. He doesn't get the privilege of building this temple. Solomon, his son, builds the temple. We all know that. But David put in store all the things to build that temple with. But God said by the prophet, he said, I'm going to build you. A house. And what he meant by that was there was one coming that was going to raise up in the likeness of David. And I love it because one of the things that we call the Lord, one of the things that he was called in the New Testament, and the people knew it, they all knew it because he came from Nazareth, because he was of the root of the, the, the seed of Jesse, and they all knew it. They called him Jesus, the son of David. It meant something. And if we look back at David's life and compare, the, I just want to compare a little bit of the anointing of David and the anointing of our Lord Christ. I want to tell you this. David didn't receive a different spirit than Christ did. David did not have a different anointing than Christ did. In the physical, with the pouring of the oil, but God brought it together. It all came together in Jesus Christ. This is the great anointing, the greatest anointing that ever took place. A lot of things happened in the Old Testament. A lot of people were anointed. But now we're going to break the mold. Jesus is not going to have somebody pour oil over his head. It's not going to happen. He doesn't take from the old old recipe and the apothecary and take that oil and some prophet somewhere pour it over his head. That's not the way God is going to work this in the New Testament church. We don't need anybody pouring oil over anybody, but there is going to be some holiness and it's going to come by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And so Jesus is anointed, but he's not anointed with oil. But he is anointed. He's standing now in the water. He's come to John, to John's baptism. He's about 30 years old. I, I see just about the parallel of David. And he's about 30 years old. And now he's standing, having been baptized. It's recorded in Luke 3, John 1, Matthew 3, and Mark 1. 
about Jesus' baptism and anointing. You can go there and you can look at that. But here he is in the water and the heavens are opened. And what happens is an anointing comes because he is anointed. The Greek word is Christos. He is Christed as he is in the water. The man, Jesus of Nazareth, now standing, the heavens open, and the Holy Spirit descends upon him, both holy and spirit. Not a person, not a man, not an idea, not a doctrine. The holy, which is the anointing, spirit comes down out of heaven and rests upon the man. Everybody say the man. We're not anointing at this moment. We are not anointing the God. It is the anointing of the man, Christ Jesus. The man, Jesus from Nazareth. There's something that we fail to understand. It just, I, I, it, you, can, you can preach it one way or the other, that Jesus was God or Jesus was man. I want you to know that he was both God and man. But on the outside, he is man. He feels like we do. He, he is touched like we do. He hurts. He hungers. He thirsts. He's tired. All of those things that we know about him. He's just a man. He labored as a man in, a, in the carpentry, the carpentry shop or whatever it was that his father did and then now at 30 years old he is going to be anointed as a man he is not Christed even though the angels came at his birth and said Christ is laying in the manger but it's yet to be revealed what he is going to be he doesn't act like Christ he doesn't do miracles he doesn't do signs and wonders he doesn't even preach the gospel until the point that he is anointed to do so as that man, Christ Jesus. Everybody say amen. And so John the baptizer said this. I have seen and have witnessed. He heard. That this one. Is the son of God. See they don't know him as the son of God. He's not going to act in the office of ministry before he is anointed. He is just Jesus of Nazareth. But at Acts 10, 38, at Luke 3, John 1, Matthew 3, Mark 1, we see a transition from just the man to the man Christ Jesus. And now what he will do from this time forward. Kind of parallels to what David did. And David went out and the spirit of the Lord moved and came upon him. Except that Jesus is going to walk day and night in the spirit. And he will know the spirit. And John said the spirit came on him and remained upon him. So that he acts and functions in the most holy of ministries that can ever be done, the great high priest of the New Testament and the Messiah, our Lord, functions out of holy anointing and spirit. All right, we're going to take just a, just a moment to absorb that for a second. Is everybody okay? Okay, let's see, it's 11.28. In case you needed to check your time. Lunch is waiting. But we're going to go to Acts 10. And talk about Acts 10 for a few minutes. I've heard a lot of things. I have, I have been subjected to a lot of things that, that I have to say, God, change my mind, change my heart. I believe your word. So I want to read and discuss this chapter 10. Verse Starting, we'll, we'll start up with, uh, let's start with verse 36, but 
We've got to set the time and the place now. Pastor Rodney preached about this just some little time ago, really good. Cornelius, and it was kind of a, a different approach to this. But I, I want to talk about just exactly what happened during the message of what Peter did. And the Lord, remember, told Peter, go down to Cornelius. And, and first he saw the vision of things. And the Lord said, take and eat. No, 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 I never, I don't, no, I don't associate with that. Well, what the Lord was trying to tell him was that you're going to associate with what I say that you're going to associate with. Now, I want you to get up and go down to Cornelius. Goes to Cornelius, and so he is there. Um, he realizes it, 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 it comes to him that God is no what's called respecter of person. Actually uses the Greek word prosopolites, which means to show partiality to nationality, ethnos, and race. The Lord does not show partiality to race any longer. Just because you're an American, you don't have an inside track. Because you're a Jew, you don't have an inside track. But to everyone that fears him and works righteousness, then those are the ones that are acceptable unto the Lord's amen. And so Peter is now, get your Bible. And, and I know this is, this is a little bit of study here. But, but I got, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit of God. And so it just, I just want to talk about this one little section here. Verse 36, 1036, and says, The Logos which God sent to the sons of Israel. <laughs> you all know what the Logos of God is. And preaching the gospel, and here's the gospel, peace through Jesus Christ. And then he says something to Cornelius that Cornelius needs to know. And the modern church needs to know, this one is Lord of all. I think we have forgotten that sometimes. Jesus is Lord of all. You don't need to go anywhere else. He's Lord of all. You don't need to look for someone else. Jesus is Lord of all. You don't need an outside experience with God. Jesus is Lord of all. Can everybody say amen? Everybody say all. All. That's, that compasses com everything is that he is Lord total. He is Lord of all. Paul said it this way in Romans 9, 5. He said, Jesus, talking about Jesus, he is the one who is God over all. Fine with me. Lord over all. God all with all. Overall, it all means the same thing to me. So Peter is directing his message towards one thing here. I want you to know something. That church has been directing their message to something else. But there is one primary message that has to be preached in the church. And it's not about another person. It's not about another experience. It's about the experience in knowing Jesus Christ as Lord of all. As God of all. That's what needs to be preached and established in every Christian church. And so Peter begins his message to Cornelius, his family, his people that are there, whoever it is that's there. I want you to know something. Jesus is Lord of all. That's why I say to you this morning, if, if you don't get anything else out of this, I want you to get this. Jesus is Lord of all. And Jesus is good enough to cover every problem in your life. Come on and say amen right there. It doesn't matter where you're at or where you've been or what's going on right now. It doesn't matter if you're up or down or healthy or sick or broke or, or, or you have money rolling in. None of that's going to matter because Jesus is Lord over everything. I want you to know He's Lord over your life. He's Lord over your home. He's Lord over your marriage. He's Lord over your family. Jesus is Lord of everything. And we keep that perspective. Hey, good things are going to happen and they do here. Verse 37, you know, the word spread through all Judea about what happened, beginning with the baptism of John in Galilee, and then, coupled with last week, the great light came down via Maris, by the way of the sea. See, sometimes we look in the Bible and we think those people are stupid. 
all of the Roman rulers, captains, people that are in place, charged over anything to do with that part of their empire, they know everything that's happening in their district. Paul said it this way to King Agrippa. Oh, King Agrippa, you, you know what happened here. This thing was not done in a corner. So now he's exposing um, this gospel to Cornelius, but Cornelius already knows what happened. That's what Paul says, or Peter rather says, you know what happened, but I'm going to tell you about it, but you already have an understanding about what happened. And then verse 38, now he's going to bring in the Lord. And Yeshua from Nazareth, Jesus from Nazareth, when God anointed Christ in him in Holy Spirit and in power who went about doing good works and healing all of those having been overpowered by the devil because God was with him. No. But in the Greek... It brings a genitive case to the end of that sentence. God was with of him. And so that's why Paul wrote back later and said, To wit, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself in Christ. See, the Lord's not out there on his own now. He's not out there doing carpentry. He's not out there under his parents any longer with the family. But now something has happened. He has been anointed, holy, and spirit has come upon him. And now he will go out in the power of the Lord because God is with him, within him. And he will do the things that God has sent him to do in ministry. I want to get out of your mind the Lord standing in Jordan and another person jumping upon him. Because if you don't understand the anointing of Christ, you won't understand the anointing of us. Oh, he received another person. He didn't receive another person. He received the spirit of Holy Spirit, anointing spirit of God upon him to conduct ministry under the direction of that same spirit. told you at a service uh, some time ago really disappointed me the man's revelation and understanding I had to go out of there shaking my head at the end of the service he had preached all about Holy Ghost and at the end of the service he said you need to get down on your knees and whatever do the same prayer that you prayed to have Jesus come in your life that you received the Holy Ghost in your life I said, no wait, what the, no no no, you don't need to do that. I'm going to show you why here in just a minute. Hang on. Everybody okay? I should have run a disclaimer this morning. I don't have all truth. But I'm going to preach in the light that I have. That's where I'm going. So, let's read down and, and just read these next few verses. 39 through 43. Let's just read it real quick. And we are witness of all these things which he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they did away with him, hanging him on a tree. And God raised him up. God raised this one up the third day. And, and gave him to become visible. Not to all the people, but to witnesses and the ones having been before handpicked by God. To us who ate and drank with him after his rising from the dead. And he commanded us to proclaim to the people and to witness solemnly that it is he who has been marked out by God to be the judge of the living and of the dead. And to this one, all the prophets witness so that through his name, everyone believing into him will have or find, receive the forgiveness of sin. Okay. I'm just about done. So remember I said everybody kind of gets sleep. Is it warm in here? Feels like it to me. I've got on a vest and it's a very lovely tie. Choking and hot. So Peter is preaching now. To get get where we're going, okay? What is he preaching? The gospel of Jesus Christ. You got it? 
That's what he's preaching. Now, watch the next verse. Watch the next verse. As Peter was yet speaking these words. What words? The gospel of Jesus Christ. See, He didn't stop. Say, now we need a prayer meeting to lay hands on people so they receive something. No, no, he didn't do that. He is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what happens? And so as Peter was yet speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on those hearing the words. This is the template of receiving the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, it's not in a prayer group. It's not in an altar. It is in hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's when the holy anointing of God comes over the congregation. It's not some quiet time over here by yourself. It's not somebody screaming in your ear, receive, receive, receive. That's not when you receive. But I want to let you know right now, I've been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to you. And if it is available for your heart to receive this morning, God wants to pour out Holy Spirit upon you. Because it is in the revelation of Jesus Christ that we receive the Spirit of God. I know that flies in the face of what we've been taught. How to receive the Holy Spirit. I'm tired of it. I'm sick of it. Receiving the Holy Spirit is a thing of God, not a thing of man. I watched an idiot... He's an idiot. Said to the congregation, you want to receive the Holy Ghost? Now, I'm going to be careful here. There is no ghost in the New Testament. There's only one reference to ghost, and that was, they said, he's a phantom walking on the water. That, that's the only reference to ghost we have. Everybody out there, you want to receive the Holy Ghost? You just start saying what you would say when you were a baby. And he started doing that stuff and they were all doing that. No, you're receiving something all right. You're not receiving the Spirit of the Lord because the Spirit of the Lord comes at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Everybody happy? Say amen. I'm going to relieve you. You don't have to get down in an altar and what we used to call tarry. I went to a UBC church one time. I used to go to some of you. I don't agree totally with what they're about. Right, okay. Let's don't go there this morning. But, but anyway, I'm there, and they're trying to get a guy saved. He has to be baptized in water and speak in tongues before he can get saved. Poor guy. I don't know how long he had been standing there. And he could barely, his knees were hardly holding him up, and they're hitting him on the head, and barely, come on, come on, come on. And, you, and finally, I've seen people just say, blah, 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 blah. Oh, That is not the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I want this church to let that be a template for us. I'm not going to call any lines for anybody to come up here and speak in tongues. I'm not doing it. If God does that, He's all-powerful to do whatever it is He wants to do. But I'm not going to force his hand and say, now, I'm going to touch you, and I've, I've seen those lines. Line up here, and when I touch you, start speaking in tongues. No, we're not doing that at all. I'm going to preach this gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to lift him up. I'm going to draw him high. I'm going to make him Lord of all. I'm going to make him God of all. And if that stirs your heart, and if that warms your heart, and it breaks open your spirit, and you receive him, you are receiving the Holy Spirit of God. Otherwise, we're just encamped in man-made ideas. This is a God idea. Do you like that word template? Kind of goes along with what you preach Sunday night, huh? God does have a template for receiving the Holy Spirit of God. It's called the revelation of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
That's what we're trying to do in this church. Isn't it, Brother Austin? That's what we're trying to do. Amen. Brother Chris, that's what we're trying to do, right? Brother Joshua, when we teach, when we preach, that's what we're trying to do. Pastor Rodney, we're just, we're trying to give people Jesus. Understand the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I want to tell you something else that was said about him. He is the baptizer. You are baptized at the revelation of him. Oh, boy. Just, I'm, I'm, I'm on such thin ice. The other day I went out on ice and fell down, but now I'm on ice this morning. You know, I need to get good. Preach, Pastor. Come on, get, get done. A lot of this stuff just stems from unscriptural theology. Whether it's intentional or unintentional, we don't always know. You know, good people do some things. and I mean... A lot of it falls back to Azusa Street, and I'm telling you, Azusa Street had a lot of things that you wouldn't even go and you would walk out of the crazy things that were going on there. But John, in John's epistle, um, first epistle, I, I want to read a couple of things. He is encouraging us to believe in Jesus Christ. Verse 5 of the fifth chapter, he says, Who is the one overcoming the world if not the one believing that Jesus is the Son of of God. Verse 6. And this one having come through water and blood. Jesus the Christ. Not the water only. Rather in water and in blood. And the spirit is the one testifying. Because the spirit is the truth. And let me just kind of rephrase this in, in my understanding. The Spirit witnesses that the earth man Jesus, flesh and water and blood, is God in the earth. Then we have to stop at verse 6, because verse 7 in your Bible does not exist in the text. It's not in the Greek Bible. It's not in the ancient writings. Because someone somewhere inserted what they thought was the proper restraint on the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Here, John is trying to exalt the Lord. He's the Son of God. He is the one that, that the Spirit bears witness of Him in our hearts. And he is going on about the Lord Jesus Christ. And somebody has to stop the wagon right there just like they always do. Let's get past him and let's go to somewhere else. And so they make up a verse and they put it in the Bible. Now you might be mad at me this morning, but you can go home and do your own study. 1 John 5, 7 is not in the text. There are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. That does not exist in the Word of God. He didn't say it. Someone else said it. Because the verse prior said, there is one that bears witness. Jesus said, I don't witness of myself. But my Father that's within me, He's the one witnessing. The Spirit of God that's in Him witnesses that He is the Christ. It's the same thing I'm telling you this morning. That when we preach Christ, there's a witness that goes out in your heart and says, that's right. That's right. The Spirit of truth deals with you and says, the preaching of Jesus is right. And in your heart, you begin to understand and receive that Jesus is Lord of all. Hallelujah. So I'm going to have to nix 1 John 5, 7. There are not three that bears witness. There is one that bears witness. That the inside man is bearing witness of the outside man, Jesus Christ. And that is one witness. Listen to the next verse. There's one witness. And these three, not three of John 5, 7, but the blood, the water, and the Spirit. These three bearing witness in the earth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are witnessing one. And His name is Jesus Christ. There's nowhere else to go this morning, Christian believer. You don't have another door, another avenue, another place to hook up with God. There isn't any other way. No one comes prostambatera except through the man Christ 
Jesus. The gospel doesn't offer another option. He's either Lord of all and God of all, or He's nothing to you. He's not secondary, not some kind of second God. See, the danger of receiving other options is the percentage of the rate of those that return. It's minuscule. In fact, I don't know anyone who has left off Christ and gone on with their experience in God that has ever come back to Him. I don't know a single person. So I would have to say, beware of that. Beware of that kind of doctrine. Beware of what you hear, how you hear it. And so I'm going to finish right here. I've been preaching quite a while, but you all have been good. Nobody's gone to sleep yet, I hope. Listen, listen. In the Old Testament, it was forbidden to make your own holy oil. If you did so, you were removed from the people. In the New Testament, it is also forbidden in the church for you to make your own brand of oil holiness. Uh-oh. Man, I'm stepping on a big, fat, sore toe now. All of us think we know what holy is. Plastered out there on the signs all over the place. All I, I, remember, I, I didn't know what holiness churches were until I got to Oklahoma. They're everywhere. But each one of them has its own brand and its own flavor. See, the Lord said, don't make your own flavor. Don't make your own oil holy. That's what the Old Testament was. The oil was holy. Don't bring it over here and into the New Testament. Make your own flavor of holiness. There's only one holy. I said this a couple weeks ago, and I'm going to say it again. Stop trying to make yourself holy. It's not within your power to do so. You can separate yourself from some things, and there's some things you need to separate from. But in order to become anointed, to become anointed with the oil of the Old Testament, brought over into the New Testament, the Holy, it's going to be done by the Holy Spirit of God. It's not going to be done because you stop wearing short sleeve shirts. That isn't going to make you holy. Because you now wear open or closed-toed shoes. That's not going to make you holy. I went to a church where if you wear a tie, you're not holy. Listen, whether you wear a tie and like it or don't wear a tie and don't like it, it doesn't matter. God's not looking at that. He's looking at your heart. He's still looking at the heart of people. Listen, I know that there is decent and proper ways to dress, and we should. We shouldn't look like the devil. But I want to tell you this. It's not going to make you holy. What makes you holy is the holy presence of God at the revelation of Jesus Christ comes into your heart, sets you free from the power of the flesh. Well, I'm, boy, I'm, I'm screaming and yelling now. I've got down to there. Uh, there's just one New Testament holy anointing. That is the holy anointing that Jesus baptizes us with. If that spirit that was in him Paul said it this way. He said, if you don't have the spirit of Christ, hang it up, put your Bible up, go do something else. You're not one of his. Oh, his spirit is invested into us. Makes us holy. So in the New Testament, holy and spirit comes in one package. You don't pour out oil. And then, you know, the spirit is upon him. But in one package, holy spirit. 
Peter wrote to us, the followers of Jesus Christ, and said this, you're, you're an elect kind, you're an elect species. Uh, King James Version says, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. Do you know what that means? Royal. You're of kingship. Priesthood. You're a priest. We are kings and priests with God. That's all of his people, not preachers. We are chosen generation, all of us, the whole bunch. We are a holy nation. What makes us holy? The sign out there at the church, I just wish that they would list all those things so I would know going in there what I have to do. Peter just said, you're a holy nation, man. I'm going to tell you why you're a holy nation. Because the Holy Spirit of God has invested upon your life. Because you're a king and a priest, you need to be anointed for the service of the Lord. You need to be anointed members, each one of the body of Christ. We all need to be anointed. We all are ministers of His gospel. We need to be anointed. We are kings and priests with God. And so He puts on us and pours on us. I mean, it's the same terminology. He pours upon us. He pours upon us His Spirit. And we become, listen, holy. Everyone that touches the Spirit of God is holy. Everyone that touched the oil in the Old Testament was holy. Every one of you that have touched the Spirit of God, you are holy saints. You are a holy nation. You are a holy people. You are a holy generation. You are holy kings and priests with God. Everybody happy? Say amen. All right, the preacher's starting to go down, so I'm going to let you go. Man, I'll tell you what, I was stirred up about this, though. Let me say this. Let us stand steadfast then. In the doctrine and faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our rabbi, our Christ. Our savior, redeemer. Our Holy Spirit, baptizer. In the words of Thomas. Let's boldly proclaim Jesus. You are my Lord. And my God. Anybody believe the witness of Thomas? When he saw him, when it was revealed to him, you are my Lord and my God. Would you stand with me this morning? God bless you so much. I took a little extra time today, but I had a lot, lot, of, lot of things to say. But I just believe that if we get a right perspective of what God wants to do in our life, we begin to understand that this thing's not about us and making ourselves holy, but it's about God making us holy. It's about the Lord coming over our life. See, you're only going to be a Christian as long as you let the Spirit be holy in your life. Leave off Jesus, you've left off the revelation of God. And so we continue, continue steadfastly preaching this gospel of the Lord and Savior. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you this morning. God, I hope I have done justice to what you showed me and that I preach something that would just stir our hearts, Lord, that would confirm witness in our heart, witness to us, Lord, that at the revelation of Jesus Christ, your spirit comes upon us, Lord. Oh. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. Lord, bless and touch everyone here this morning. Lord, everyone that's heard, that you would bless and minister in your name, dear Lord. Amen, 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 amen.